We've been working through a series called The Names of God. Each name we've been studying has described a portion of God's character. As I've mentioned before, our trek to understand, to learn, to know more about God is going to be ongoing for probably the rest of our lives. It's probably going to move into eternity, and I don't know if we're ever going to know everything there is to know about God. Many of God's names that we've studied have come out of specific circumstances or situations that people have been in, and God has decided to reveal himself out of those situations, out of those circumstances, as a God who fits the needs of his people. We're told in the New Testament that we're given the writings of the Old Testament for our learning. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days... Remember, as they were writing the New Testament, they did not have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. And so they were basing their teachings off of what Jesus had given them, out of what the early church had become, and off of the Old Testament teachings. And so it says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. And this morning, as we're talking about the Lord, your healer, we're going to be talking about that hope this morning. If you had your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, we're going to start reading in verse 22 this morning. Exodus 15 verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where they were 12, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This week we're talking about Jehovah Rophi. Jehovah Rophi, the Lord your healer. In verse 22, the first verse we read there, it says that they had left the Red Sea. Do you remember what happened at the Red Sea? We've been talking some about Moses and this journey that he's gone on. The Red Sea, they came to it, and there was a large body. The whole sea was in front of them, and the Egyptian army was behind them. They were literally between a rock and a hard place, except they were between a water and an army. They didn't know what to do. 
The solution seemed insurmountable, impossible. But God parted the waters before them. It says that they didn't even get their feet muddy. They crossed over on dry ground. They didn't even get dirt on their Air Jordans. Their Air Jesuses. Well, there wouldn't have been Air Jesus then. They didn't get dirt on their feet. There was nothing. They just crossed on the dry ground. At the end, they just had to wipe a little sand off. They were done. On the other side of the Red Sea, we know that God let the waters come back in, destroy the Egyptian army, and they had a worship service. Exodus chapter 14, the end. Actually, it's in 15, right before this. Verse 20. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to the Lord, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The ladies' aid of the church went out with tambourines and dancing. They threw a little party. This is after Moses had a whole song that he sang. I don't know if it was the worship song or the special music or everybody joined in. I don't know what it was. But they had a worship service. In the text we read, it says they traveled for three days and there was no water. So they had a worship service on, Mon on Sunday. On Monday, they walked all day. On Tuesday, they walked all day. By sometime on Wednesday, they go, there's some water. Because everybody was getting thirsty. If they had supplies of water, they'd run out by now. It was not just people, but remember, there were animals, there was livestock, there was things with them. So I can only imagine that at the first sight of water, their heart begins to race. They start, their steps move a little faster. They go from walking, just walking faster to almost running to a sprint. To see who could get there first. They come to the water and they get down and they scoop it up and they begin to drink until they realize the water is not good for drinking. You know what's worse than drinking bad water? Drinking bad water and not having anything to get the taste out of your mouth. The water was bitter. They weren't able to drink. In the process this morning of understanding who the Lord, our healer, the Lord your healer is, Jehovah Rophi, we're going to see some points this morning. We're going to see that we only get to know the healer through hardship. We only get to know the healer, Jehovah Rophi, through hardship. Number one on your sheets, God plans wilderness experiences. After they left the Red Sea, what did they do? They went into the wilderness of Shur, it says. And they went three days into the wilderness. The only way for them to get where God had told them to go was to go through the wilderness. Even if that wasn't the most direct route, they needed to go through the wilderness. 
It wasn't going to be easy for them, but God doesn't call us to easy. God calls them to obedience, to following him, and they follow him into the wilderness. Tony Evans makes the statement that Israel could be in the wilderness and still be in God's will. Just because they were starting to go through the wilderness doesn't mean that that wasn't part of God's will for them. God plans wilderness experiences. There are times we are going to go through difficult circumstances, but they're precisely where God wants us to be. God has us there to test us. God can use the circumstances, the hardships that we're going for, for our good. Paul makes this comment in Romans 8. You're probably very familiar with this verse. He's, Paul is comparing the present suffering of the people to the future glory that they will have someday. And he says, and we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good. Current persecution, current suffering, difficult circumstances, all things, all things means all things, work together for good. What is good? God's future glory. Many times we think all things work together for good for our future glory. But it's not about us. It's about God. They work together for good for him, for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, you're either coming into a wilderness situation, going through a wilderness situation, or coming out of a wilderness situation. God doesn't leave us in the comfortable very long because that's not where we're going to grow he gives us comfort at times to give us rest but he's always working in our lives to make us more like himself even though the hardships we may go through don't feel good at the time he's taking us through the wilderness to help us grow and become more like him so my first question this morning is, what's your wilderness right now? Or where are you at in your wilderness experience? Are you going into the wilderness, going through the wilderness, or coming out of the wilderness? Secondly, getting to know the healer through hardship, our response to God's testing matters. Our response to God's testing matters. All of a sudden, did you notice in the verses what happens? They're worshiping on Sunday, and by Wednesday, they're complaining. They have a great worship service on Sunday, but by hump day, they're having a hard time get over the hump. They're grumbling, the Bible tells us. They're thirsty. They want to have water now. But look at the end of verse 25. 
says, there the Lord, the end of verse 25, there the Lord made for them a statute or rule, and there he tested them. Remember Abraham when we began to look at the beginning of the story of, of, of Abraham and his sacrifice of Isaac? It said the Lord was going to test him. This is another test that God is giving to his people. But our tests, our responses to God's testing are important. Our, res- our responses matter. God had already taken them through an impossible situation. Do you remember where they were at with the Red Sea? They had a huge body of what in front of them? Water. What are they struggling with here now? Water. God had already proved to them that he had control of water. He'd already said, do you remember? And then he tested them. And he brings them to Merah, which means bitter. And they're grumbling and they're complaining. Our responses to difficult situations, our responses to God's testing matters because it shows the conditions of our heart. It shows the conditions of our heart. In the New Testament, Jesus in Luke chapter 6 said, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. What is Jesus saying? The things you're going to say, the actions you're going to do, are not coming from just anywhere. They're coming from your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our responses to God's testing matter. You see, our responses are like the indicator light on your dashboard. You know the little lights that come on? Some lights you pay more attention to than others, right? The the, I'm almost out of gas light? You're probably going to act on that within the next few miles, or you're going to face the consequences, right? I've done that before and faced the consequences. Thought, I can make it. And then I didn't make it. Those indicator lights are important, and so when we respond harshly, out of anger, wrongfully towards our spouse, towards our children, towards our parents, when we respond that way to those closest to us, because there's the ones that usually bear the blunt of it, when we respond that way, it's showing a condition of our heart. It should be a warning flag. Something's wrong here. You're being selfish. You're being inconsiderate. You're being not loving. You're being, put in there the trait, the godly trait that you're not being. Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure is how it produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, 
the bitter water was a reflection of their bitter hearts. There was some bitterness that the people, the nation of Israel needed to work on. They were not trusting God, even though they had just seen him do a wonderful miracle with water. That was three days ago. They were not trusting God, and they began to grumble. In the the book, The Names of God, one of the books I'm going through, Ken Hemphill says, difficult circumstances never test the power of an omnipotent God. They only test the faith of God's people to rely on God. They're never testing of God's power. They're testing of our faith. So the question this morning is, is how do I respond to God's testing? How do I respond when God chooses to test me? When a situation or a circumstance doesn't go the way that I wanted it to go, do I act like a toddler and throw a fit? Or do I trust that God says, Roger, I've got this. You just need to trust me with it. So how do I respond in God's testing? Third, God's answer may be unorthodox. You see, we only get to know the healer through hardship. God's answer may be unorthodox. God tells Moses, he says, go pick up a log. Or maybe it was a branch or a tree. The word there can kind of mean either of those. Go pick up a log and throw it in the water. This is an unorthodox answer. He doesn't say, okay, Moses, you guys need to build a fire. We're going to boil this water and we're going to make it clean. He doesn't say, okay, Moses, I've provided this filtering system. You just need to go get some of the water and pour it through the filtering system. And when it comes out, it'll be clean. What does he say? He says, go grab that log over there. Not the one over there. Go grab that log and throw it in the water. Okay, God. I guess you've got this. So he walks over and he grabs the log and he picks it up and he throws it in the water. And then there's the question, okay, who's going to go first? (laughs) Moses, you threw it in. I think you should go first. Moses is like, Aaron, no, no, you get in there. I'm God's voice here. You're supposed to do the right. No, I don't know who solved that, but somebody went first. It's sweet now. All of a sudden, you can see everybody coming in, getting the water, drinking. God's answer may be unorthodox. There's times we're looking for an answer, but it's not the answer we're going to get. We're looking for God to answer something in a specific way, but he's not going to answer in the way that we think. He's going to do something completely different, completely surprising. I read through the Voice of the Martyr uh, magazine. I get that and on a monthly basis, I believe. And there was a story in there. I read this last week, and I want to read it to you. It's called The Police Captain's Cap, a Bible smuggling story. It's by Merv Knight. It says, an aging man boarded a bus in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. 
with a long journey ahead of him, possibly a 12-hour ride. In his hands, he clutched a box of about 30 Bibles that he was taking to tribal Christians in the highlands. As he looked for a seat on the crowded bus, he pondered how he could get through the many checkpoints along the way without his precious goods being discovered. After finding an empty seat along the aisle, he sat down and placed a box of Bibles on the floor against his leg. A police captain who had followed him onto the bus then took the seat across the aisle from him, casually removed his hat, and placed it on the man's box. As the buff coughed and sputtered its way down the road, the man occasionally glanced down at his precious cargo, wondering if he would succeed in delivering it to his destination. All too soon, they reached a checkpoint. Police officers boarded the bus to check a few IDs, but they were especially focused on any boxes the passengers had with them. The man's heart skipped a beat as the officers advanced down the aisle. Soon they were standing by his box of Bibles, and he expected the worst. But when they looked at the box and saw the police captain's cap resting on it, they just continued down the aisle to the next passenger. Eventually, the man reached his destination, destination and safely delivered God's word to awaiting believers in the highlands. Miracles occur in different and sometimes simple ways. God's hand was at work protecting his precious word. When we think about it, miracles happen often. In the rush and bustle of life, let us not fail to recognize God's hand lest we miss the blessings. God's ways are often unorthodox. This man in Vietnam would have had no idea that God was going to do that. No matter how he prayed, his words that morning were not, help a police captain sit down next to me and place his cap on my boxes so when the police come, he never prayed that prayer. I can almost guarantee you that. Because God's God answers in unorthodox ways. So he threw the, the stick, the tree, the log into the water. I feel like I missed a slide. Did I miss the slide? God's design brings healing. God's design brings healing. God gives them his name, the way that they can get to know him. Jehovah Rophi. It says in verse 25 that the Lord made a statute for them, a rule. There he tested them. This was the precursor to the commandments that he was going to give them. He had not given them the Ten Commandments yet. But he's testing them. What does he say to them? If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all, to all of his statutes, what is he saying? Listen to me. What do we have to say to our girls so often? Listen, Stacy's smiling. Listen to me. Do you hear my words? Look at my mouth moving. Are you listening? Why? Because often we'll start talking and Ellie will just be like, 
I'm going to look over here. Now, are you listening? God says, if you will listen to me and obey, I will hold all this disease and I will bring healing to the people. He says, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. He's literally talking about, I will take my hand and I will hold back any of the plagues. You saw the plagues that happened to the Egyptians. I will take my hand and I will hold those back and they will never come upon you. If you listen and obey. God's saying for the Israelites, there's a link here between listening and obedience and what's going to happen to them. He says, I will protect you. If you do not live like the Egyptians, you're coming out of Egypt. I know their culture has been wearing off on you for the last 400 years you've been there. So the lot of their culture, you're worshiping their God still, but there is only one God. I've shown you who he is. He is the healer. He will sustain you if you listen to my voice. If you sit in my counsel, slowly all the rest of that's going to fall away. By the time we get to the mountain and I say there shall be no other gods before you, you go, okay, that makes sense. Why? Because we've been following you and you really have been doing it all the work for us. So God's design brings healing. You see, listening to God and following His design is always the right course of action for us as Christians. God's design is not just a way to live. God's design is the only way to live. Finally, there's blessing on the other side of the wilderness. There's blessing on the other side of the wilderness. God is teaching them that he can be trusted. He takes them from a time of testing to a time of blessing. You see, blessing comes through the wilderness. We don't enjoy going through the wilderness. We don't enjoy going through the wilderness, through the hardship, through the rough times. But it's because we go through the wilderness that we can come to the blessing on the other side. You see, the problem is many Christians go... I don't want to go through that, so I'm going to sit right here. This is comfortable. I don't want to go through that. That's a wilderness. That's not fun. I'm going to have to try to do a bunch of work over here, but really you're going to have to rely on God over there. But God is just saying, just follow me through the wilderness. Get on the roller coaster. Sit down. The buckle's going to come over you. Hold on. I've got this. There's going to be a lot of bumps along the way. It's going to be scary. But then on the other side, he brings blessing. Do you see what he gives to them? God takes them to Elam, where there's 12 springs. How many tribes of Israel were there? 12 tribes. There's a spring for each tribe. We don't even have to fight over them. 
There's trees in abundance. It says there's 70 palm trees. There's shade. There's an area for them to rest. There's plenty of fresh water. God brings them into blessing. It's much like when Jesus performed the miracle of the fish and the loaves. What was happening? People were starting to get hungry. The disciples were starting to hear the tummies grumbling. And they said, Jesus, you need to send these people away. Jesus says, how much fish do we have? Two fish, five small loaves. Okay, have the people sit down. Disciples are like, what? Have the people sit down. Start passing the fish out. Jesus, we only have two, remember? I said two fish. Not 2,000 fish that everybody can see. We have two fish and five loaves. That's it. Okay, guys, I got this. Have them sit down, spread out, and just start passing it. Hey, Peter, John, watch this. They begin to pass. It begins to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. And all of a sudden, they're at the end, and everybody's like, oh. You know when you sit at a buffet, and you've eaten way too much, more than you ever should have, and you go, oh. There's 5,000 people there that ate probably too much that day. And yet they're going around and they're like, do you have leftovers? Well, there's an extra fish there. There's an extra loaf. And they have basketfuls left over. God is blessing the nation of Israel with water, shade. You see, there's nothing on this earth that's going to be too big of a problem for God. There's connections with Jesus. We've been talking about the connections each week. Uh, it's not hard to connect the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rophi, with Jesus. In Matthew 11, 4 through 5, John's disciples come to Jesus and Jesus says, Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus says, tell John's disciples, or tell John what you see. The healing that Jesus is doing. On one occasion, a man was brought to Jesus. He wasn't able to walk. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. He did that before he could even walk. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody's questioning, well, who can forgive sins? And Jesus was like, so you know who can forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And the man picked up his mat and he walked off. Jesus was showing that he was the healer, not only physically, but the healer spiritually. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May have it abundantly. Ultimately, Jesus brought the spiritual healing that wasn't available until he died and took our sinfulness upon him. Paul writes, I'm sorry, Peter writes in 1 Peter. Paul doesn't write in 1 Peter. 
Not one word. Peter writes in 1 Peter, he himself bore our sins, talking about Jesus. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been, what's the word? By his wounds you have been healed. Through Jesus' wilderness experience, we have been healed. Jesus brings eternal healing to our sinful state. So where can the healing of Jehovah Rophi apply to you today? Is it a sickness? Is it pain? Is it healing emotionally? Healing brokenness? Healing in marriage, healing depression, healing sin, healing wounds from abuse that you've held on to for years, healing circumstances, healing addictions, healing our nation, or even healing the racial divides that we have. Where do you need the healer to speak into this morning? Maybe one of those stood out to you this morning. Paul had his own wilderness he went through multiple times things Paul endured. You can read a list in the New Testament, some of his struggles that he went through. There was one, though, that God decided he wasn't going to answer. Paul writes about having a thorn in his flesh that tormented him, and he prayed, he says, three times for that to be taken away. But Paul writes about the answer received in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes the answer we want isn't the answer we get. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God can be our way maker, miracle worker, Light in the darkness, because that is who he is, Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, your healer. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are healer. You are the healer in situations, in hard circumstances. Maybe one of those areas I spoke about was touching your heart this morning. Maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's for another person. Take a moment and just pray. Let go of that. Leave it at Jesus' feet. God, we have these struggles so often. 
we have these circumstances, these wildernesses that we go through. But God, you have us there to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to listen. Because so often our ears are plugged. Help us to listen because so often we're distracted by other things. Help us to follow you into the wilderness because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And the God who brings healing to our hard circumstances and our difficult situations. You are Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, your healer.